Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Every episode of Power Athlete Radio seems better than the last, and this week's is no exception. This little gem was recorded some months back with our very own pro fighter and nutrition expert, Tyler Mitten. It's dense with strength and conditioning knowledge and some serious one-liners to take to your athletes. Tex and Tyler do the majority of the nerding out and play off of each other's incredible knowledge of sport. It's evident from listening to Tyler that combatives and the sport of fighting is a whole other animal. What unique challenges do these competitors face aside from the obvious of getting hit in the face? The answers lie in a risky little practice called overtraining. Even if fighting is not your bag, the same concepts of prepping for competition apply. This episode takes a look at what the key elements leading up to game day are and how to conquer the balancing act of programming and nutrition. This is episode 165. Power Athlete Nation. This is Power Athlete Radio, people. Uh, you got Luke here, Texas over in DC. We decided to kick on the mic and just start chatting. Tyler Mitten, our nutrition guru, is in town for the CrossFit Football Seminar in Costa Mesa. And we're just having all sorts of fruitful conversations. <laughs> and uh, and Tex just got off work at DC, Boston his high school kids around. We figured we're about to talk, on, uh, embark on some really legit shit here and figured that why not record it and push it out to the nation so um i guess tyler what's going on not a lot man excited for tomorrow i've been following crossfit football since 2009 so we're ready to get in there and kind of see the, the behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. and tex so nice to see you luke good to see you how's everything so, uh, going? great actually um i went up to today the open kicked off yeah and oh, yeah. um I had a Christy Atkins attended a CrossFit football seminar with me and just basically ripped her apart. And those of you that I have coached or work with know that I don't care who you are, I'm going to tell you like it is. So I found some holes in her game and then put her through kind of a formal power athlete assessment and just straight shot her. So we worked on a few movement things and then she's like, all right, I'm in for the open. I pieced together a warm-up, which is available, guys, through Train Heroic. For her, I went, coached her, put her through it, and then just let her do her thing, release her athleticism into this workout. And uh, she's not the best pull-up artist, but then we were able to do enough. She strung every single one of those together and whipped up 300 reps, which I believe uh, was better than the two girls who put on the show last night. So uh, good feedback thus far in person, execution, and feeling good. Yeah, that's shitty because I was talking to Freddie because we're going to help Freddie and China out a little bit too. and like. When Freddie and China were on the the podcast, shit, like it was right after the games, wasn't it? Tex, and we were like asking about warm up. They're like, no, 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 no. That that controlled dynamic of being in a gym, understanding the workout ahead of you, having the space, equipment, and resources to get a proper warm up, that doesn't exist. It's like war- workouts announced. You're fucking shuttled through. A, you know the the corridor like a, a herd of cattle you're basically kicked out on the stage and like exercise you know what I mean like there is no way to like there's no good way to warm up and you know what we were talking about and what we had helped like uh, Anthony Lowe I think and a couple other athletes with is like uh, kind of the doorway warm-up concept like what can you do in a doorway to best prepare yourself and get a lot of this shit going but um yeah, man. So I'm excited. I'm excited that we finally get like to uh, 
get to dive into the open and we you know we found our niche because basically preparation throughout the season like there's a thousand different ways to approach this thing from a thousand different levels based off of your skill level where your gym's at what your strengths and weaknesses are and like to try to parse that for each person optimally would be very resource intensive but what we found is you know text being the guru here like there is a way to game this thing on the front end in terms of just just going into the ring properly warmed up yeah and it's it's basically reverse engineering from energy systems and then movements and identifying where you will fail whether it's grip kind of your nerves in your forearms your your hips get jammed up or especially lactic acid once you get to that that freaking point where we I mean we've all been there you get so jammed up in your muscles that you can't physically function it's physiological impossible no matter what you're trying to will yourself to do well we have to prepare you for that instant that moment and then kind of ride that wave so it's uh it's going to be interesting throughout the open to see how these these carry over and uh, I'm excited for the athletes that we do have on board yeah for sure and uh, I guess Tyler, so uh, for those who don't know Tyler yet, I haven't seen him on the, the site. He is basically, uh, him and, and Leah Kay are running the show in terms of nutrition. Uh, we're doing some meal planning. We're doing some nutrition coaching. We got our nutrition templates out there. And literally, Tyler was the spark or the catalyst for all this stuff that we had basically wireframed. John and I had wireframed a lot of the service and template stuff that we wanted to offer, but it wasn't until Tyler showed up. I mean... We had him on podcast a few months ago. What, I mean, when was that? November? November. Yeah. November. And he's like, I like nutrition. I'll fucking do that. And we're like, all right, let's do it. And uh, it basically that sparked the fire, you know, sparked the flame. And here we are with the fuel to fire concept in terms of, you know, nutrition is the fuel to the fire inside. And uh, and since then, you know, he as Tyler was coming on, I'm like, are you ready to do this? Can you fucking keep up with me? Because I'm a whiny little bitch and I demand a lot, <laughs> which did I lie? No, he's spot on. <laughs> Accurate. Uh, and text probably can fucking relate. And uh, But the nice thing about you two Southern gentlemen is you're extremely patient and just kind of take a, a beating, whether it's from me or John. But, you know, Tyler is like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'll just load me up with consults. I'm going to do it. Bing, bang, boom. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be in fucking Afghanistan for like 10 days. And I'm like, huh? Like, are you sure you're ready? How are you going to manage this? What, what, you know? Uh, I know you, we talked a lot about that, but how was that trip? How did a whole thing even get involved? Like, Man, sorted? That, that was amazing. I'm actually uh, probably going back here in a few months. Um, so basically, uh, a PR manager that I work with works for a company through the USO. Um, it's called AFE, Armed Forces Entertainment. Um, it's much like the USO. They go over there. They, they do entertainment things for the troops. The troops don't get much entertainment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's, uh, 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 thankless job often. Um, so pretty much they sent UFC guys and people like that send me kind of as a coach over there to, you know, roll with these guys. We actually have to train with them, um, do a Q and A's, answer any questions they may have. And they're always, they've done these in the past and they're always asking strength and conditioning and nutrition questions and things like this. And they don't really have someone answering that for them. They get, you know, they'll ask a fighter, how do you cut all this weight? And the fighter just kind of like, yeah, you know, I just, I don't eat and, you know, not give them the right stuff. So they want to send me as someone who can answer all of those questions. Um, so I signed up, man. It was, it was an amazing experience. We get there, like they, they outfit you with a helmet and Kevlar, you know, Kevlar and, and all this, like, Hey, you need to put this on. You're going to be riding in a black Hawk from base to base, 
you know, if you, if you hear fire, make sure that your head's back out of the, out of, out of the, the doorway. Um, you think they're full of it, but in fact, they're not. You do get shot at. Yeah, you got caught uh, up, didn't the you? Bases, yeah, man. You, I mean, the helicopter getting shot at. You, the bases will be getting hit with mortar fire, um, RPGs. Uh, that's the one thing I did learn is, you know, Kuwait, you know, it, it's a pretty, uh, pretty chill place, different place. Um, Afghanistan is the wild, wild west. Yeah. And, you know, I, I respect anyone who has been in the military but I have a whole new respect for people who have been to Afghanistan or are currently in Afghanistan because you just do not know what's going to happen. You can be sit there and just relax, chilled out, and all of a sudden your base is getting attacked. Um, it was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, you know, we got to we got to go to about all but just like one or two bases in Afghanistan, leave all the bases in Kuwait, um, met some awesome people. It was really awesome. I was walking um, we was in Bagram walking through and it was, at, it was at night and just walking. I look over a guy's shoulder and he's sitting there holding his iPod and I see the power athlete logo on his iPod and he's listening to power athlete radio um, on, his, <laughs> on this air force. But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And tapped him on the shoulder and I have to be wearing a power athlete shield tee. Like, Hey man, like, like you listen to that. Cause yeah, I love, I, you know, I, I follow this on base and do all this stuff. And, and it's like, Oh, you know, I, I work for them now. I do their nutrition. And uh, he, he recognized my name from the article and, and all this, so, so it was really freaking cool uh, to be in Afghanistan and, and find someone following power athlete, and, and we sit there and talk about that for a while. Uh, but man, it was just again, just just absolute most amazing experience in my life. Uh, learned a lot, um, you know, about nutrition and stuff over there. You can eat healthy, um, you know, overseas. You can eat healthy, what they call the defects. It's just going to be a very boring, unflavorful life. Yeah. Uh, but you, you can have great tasting pizza or you can have bland chicken, but you just got to choose. Um, so, you know, it, it gave me a better base to talk to clients and stuff because we get a lot of clients that are uh, military guys. They live on base. And before, you know, I could just tell them based on what I've heard, what I think. And it's cool to kind of, you know, come from a base, you know, like now I know, I know what their food options are. Right. You have a per, like a perspective. Yeah. Right? It gave a whole, you know, it gave me a lot more legitimacy when I'm talking to these guys. And what are they like? What's their setup for training? Do they have decent facilities there? Some of them, some of them, um, man, some of them, I saw one of the nicest CrossFit gyms at a CrossFit Air, John Air Force Base. It's one of the nicest CrossFit gyms I've ever seen in my entire life. It was beautiful. That being said, you can go 30 minute Blackhawk helicopter ride to another base. Um, in the middle of Afghanistan and they, they've literally got a CrossFit gym and a tent with rusty bars and just rusty metal plates. Um, and those were awesome. Yes. Yeah, they yeah. seem to have the, the, the biggest dudes too. Um, so they all, they all have to, we didn't go anywhere that didn't have a, a weight room, didn't have a facility um, that they could be working out. Pretty much all of them had barbell. Actually, every single one of them we went to had barbells, had plates. Um, you know, they've taken good care of those guys over there. Some, like I said, some of the bases, just immaculate gyms, beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful setups. Um, so, you know, all, all of that stuff's completely possible for those guys over there, which is really, really cool. Um, Did you get to roll with anybody? Oh my gosh, we rolled. So you'd go to a base and you had an hour, two hours to roll. And essentially the way it worked, they'd, they'd throw one guy in, you'd sub him, then another guy. Then his buddy comes in, then you sub him, then you get another guy. So here you've got us, you know, several of us, you know, MMA guys, two girls sitting there and just getting fresh bodies constantly. Um, so like a know, Royal Rumble, just nonstop. It was it, actually, yeah, it was. And, you know, th these guys don't, uh, they get some basic combat, but they don't get a lot. 
So that was one question we got a lot in the Q&A was, what would you do for combatives if you could change combatives? So, you know, actually getting to roll. I mean, in the time I was there, I was there for three weeks total. I mean, I rolled hundreds and hundreds of times. I mean, I would like to know the actual math on it. I mean, it had to be several hundred people and times that I got to roll. And it was just an ongoing, an ongoing thing was these guys just had no wrestling, except the guys who did have a wrestling base before and those guys did the best. Um, so that was kind of what we talked to them. One thing I tried to talk to them too is I would be going with guys that were, you know, super strong. You know, you get the Marines. The one thing about the Marines, even if they were wearing army clothes, I would know they were Marines because they're the guys that are getting choked. And like, you could be behind them, choking them from behind and they're sitting there like trying to grab your hair and stuff. Like, you know, just keep pushing forward while they're, while they can't breathe. It's just hard nose, you know, jarhead. Stubborn. Yeah. But, the one thing that I would notice is a lot of these guys, their conditioning was just poor. And you know, what I was telling them is, is, you know, from my perspective, and I always prefaced it with like, listen, I'm a civilian, you know, I can do all this stuff. That's great. Throw a knife in the middle. And I just lost like, it's, it's not, I get that. So I'm, I'm not trying to speak from someone who's, you know, trying to say, I know more about fighting than you all. But that being said, I, I, I do know more about hand to hand fighting. Um, and I would tell these guys, I'm like, listen, you know, you, you have great things here on base. You can eat cake every day if you want to. You can wake up and eat like French toast if you want to. You can watch TV and never work out a day in your life. But what is the bad guy doing? So like when I have a fight coming up every single day, I wake up like I wonder what my opponent's doing today. You know, did my opponent take a day off? Well, great. I hope he did. I hope my opponent's taking days off. I hope he's eating horrible. I hope he got five hours of sleep. Um, you know, I hope he's not doing all this stuff because I am doing all this stuff and I automatically have an advantage on him. What I was telling them, like, I promise these guys out here aren't, they're not living that life. They don't have these things, but what they are is they're in very good shape for what they do. They are eating, sleeping and breathing the idea of murdering you like that. That's, that's a heavenly thought to them. Um, so why would you want to go into that possible fight with anything, anything missing? Um, do you want to risk, you know, being out of shape? Do you want, or, or do you want to go into a fight for your life knowing that you're not in the best shape? Do you want to go against someone that's stronger than you, better conditioned than you? And I just tried to instill that thought with these guys is, man, the things that you can handle, you can handle. You can't, you might not be able to deal with the fact your back's pinned against the wall and you can't get to your sidearm. You might not be able to deal with any of that, but, you know, the things that you can help and that you can fix, you need to. Um, you know, if it, it, it's really who wants to go home to their family worse, you or them. And if you're not doing everything you can to make sure it's you, you know, you're, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And that was the thing I always tried to get through. And, and before and after when we would talk to these guys was, man, make sure you're, you're stronger, bigger, faster, stronger than that guy, you know, that you might have to go up against one day, go home to your family, screw his. Did, uh, did being out there and, you know, working with these guys change your perspective on just the conflict? in general that we're as a country we're into oh man yeah this could be a big a whole political thing here uh, <laughs> can we get political on this podcast you do whatever the fuck you want awesome all right let's get political and offend people um you know before it was uh it was one of those things i always tried to be you know like i don't know i've not lived that life i've not um you know i, I, I wasn't born and raised in the middle east i don't know that so i always kind of had the attitude of uh, you know, like there's good guys and bad guys, you know, not, they're not all bad. And I'm still not saying I, I'm on one side of the fence, the other, but talking to one guy in particular. So we, we, we talked with a green beret 
while we were there and he goes, I want, I want to take, show you all around. So we had a leader at every base. Um, in fact, one of the leaders at one of our bases was the guy that's been all over the news recently because uh, the Pakistanis, or was it Pakistan, took our, they, they captured our, our so some of those naval guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy that they made get on TV and apologize was one of our guys that we actually got to talk to and, and meet. Uh, so that was kind of insane. Uh, since I've been there, two guys have died that, that I met, too. Yeah. So that, that just kind of shows you how fast it can be, man. But anyway, um, so we're talking to this Green Beret, and he takes us to this gate because I really want to show you all something. He takes us to a gate, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, it's a gate, man. He goes, I, I wanted to show you all the, the new door we've got. And it's kind of just like, okay. And uh, he goes, yeah, not too long ago. He said a truck pulled up. It made it past our first gate. A truck pulled up, blew itself up, blew the door down. Other guys ran in. One guy starts throwing grenades. They blow up our guard tower, blow up guards. One guy goes over here to this car. Right where we're at takes us right to where this part is. This guy goes over here, hides behind this car waits for everybody to come and respond to the explosions and starts picking people off like left and right. Uh, he starts to get choked up and he goes like, like we lost our first Sergeant that night and said there's a guy that's currently paralyzed for it and all this. And you know, the, the trip was, it was a blast. And up to that point, all it had really been was fun. Everywhere we went, they were like, here, shoot this really big gun. Like, see what we do, play with the canines. Um, and, and he goes, I just wanted you all to know, that I, I'm sure everyone is taking you all around and showing you all all the really cool stuff, but I wanted you to know that any second, all hell could break loose yeah. here. And that that stuck with me, and that will always stick with me. Because um, you're sitting there, like, to be in the same spot that, like, this Taliban guy was standing in as he was, like, shooting American soldiers, and to be, like, at this spot where you know that, like, this first sergeant took his last breath and all that, man, like I, I got emotional. It was just like the most powerful point of my life. Um, and, you know, and, and talking to one guy over there, he said, I keep reenlisting. He said, when I get done, I will become a contractor. Um, he said, I never, I don't think I can ever go back home and live in America full time again. I said, why is that? He said, because the first person that tries to tell me that there's a difference in a good one and a bad one, he said, I'll kill. He said, because I've seen the good ones turn bad and, and kill my friends. And jeez, man, I don't know what to, you know, I'm not going to argue with the guy. I'm not going to tell him my viewpoints or anything. Um, you know, and he goes into this big story about how there was a guy working on base. You know, the, the, the good, the good guys on base, you know, they've been vetted. They've made sure that they're, that they don't have terrorist ties and all this. And they, they search them and all this. And, and they have apparently should have no reason to go back. They make all this money on base because the soldiers buy stuff in their their, their uh, shops where they sell their you know homemade goods and patches and stuff. Um, he said, and and then just one day that guy just blew himself up and killed, took a bunch of soldiers. And I asked him, I said, well, like, what made that guy? Was it money or what? Like, what made that guy turn into a quote unquote bad guy overnight? Because oh, he's always been a bad guy. It's like so he just he suppressed it that entire time. He goes, yeah. He said, think about it. He said, take the, he asked me if I had children. I told him no. He said, but you know, you've heard parents talk about their kid, this passionate love they have for their kids. He said, think of that as a passionate, passionate, you know, unparalleled hate for you. And he mm -hmm. says, and that's what this guy had. He said, now think of the Pope who lives his entire life doing what he thinks he needs to do to please God and get to heaven. 
He said, you're telling me this guy couldn't pretend to be a good guy for six, seven years just for the chance to kill you? Jeez. And you're, you're just sitting here hearing these things. All I hear is, you know, Fox News and CNN. And, you know, the, the, the stoner guy I went to high school with, that's an expat now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, know you, all you get is these, uh, these other opinions, and you get over there and you start hearing these opinions of guys who have been there and done that. And, you know, you, you come home and you just get a whole different uh, perspective on veterans. And then, then you get into the, when, like, tw- like the, 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 the suicide you see in these guys and uh, the PTSD. And it just – it gave me a whole new perspective of veterans, man. Like, yeah. It, it, it's – yeah, I, I can't imagine, you know, it, it's again, man, I know we got a lot of veterans and stuff that, that tune into power athlete and, and all of that. And it just, the, the man, these guys, it, it, they're, they're not treated well. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saying that more. It's something that I've seen now, like they're not treated. Um, they're, they're, they're not given enough things from us. And then mm-hmm. when they get here, now they have to deal with all the BS bickering of, um, you know, should we be there? Should we not be there? Like, do they really have PTSD? Or are they just being a wimp and all that? It's like, man, right. just shut your mouth. You don't yeah, know. Go, go live there for a week. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's, so it's kind mm-hmm. of made me almost completely get out of caring. Like I used to like, like, should we be there? Should we not? I had all these opinions on it and now I don't even try to have an opinion on it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Should we be there or not? We are. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And these yeah. guys are getting just pummeled left and right. Yeah, we're there, and there's 19-year-olds getting killed and seeing their buddies get killed, and then they have to come here and live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they have to come here and hear their buddies talk about whether or not we should be there. Mm-hmm. It completely changed. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll never – who cares, man? Yeah, it, yeah. It's happening, so. No, yeah, that's uh, scary shit, but yeah. uh, I guess shifting gears or I get paralleling back. So as part of the – part of this was with the UFC, right? I mean, was it a UFC sponsored event? Yeah, no, or? it wasn't the the uh, like a UFC sponsored event. It was just, you know, they sent several guys there and mm-hmm. sent, you know, just MMA in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all had a tie to the UFC, either a UFC veteran or ultimate fighter or something like right, that. Right, right. And then I guess for folks that may or may not have lit, heard you on a few podcasts ago, I mean, that's that's your bag. I mean, you are a fighter, right? Yes, uh, a professional fighter. I've been a professional fighter for years. Seven uh, one professionally is I can't remember like nineteen and two overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so had quite a few fights all together, probably thousands of gym gym brawls because you know the first several years of my training there was no actual training. It was put small gloves on and beat each other half to death and hope you get better. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot. What uh, you know, you want to call Tex out a little bit because when when did you quote him? Was it last time we were on? No, it wasn't last time. We were, it was when we were doing a little. We were doing one of our little our hangouts so we can all discuss our you know, Bible study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all discuss power athlete world domination. Tex made a comment of something. We were talking MMA and he made a comment of like, well, you know, I deal with real sports and then parlayed it into. <laughs> I remember parlayed it into. Uh, is real sports, so I'm still waiting. So, Tex, compare and contrast the sport of MMA versus real sports. Well, uh, he probably uh, – I was probably talking about team sports versus just an individual sport like fighting and swimming. Now, did you mean individual sport or individual activity? And, oh, I, it's definitely a sport. I'm not I putting mean, words in your mouth, but I'm pretty sure that's what you meant. No, I, I, I can't even recall the conversation. Uh, but I was definitely talking about teams versus individual sports, which, I mean, 
I primarily deal with team sports because that's that's what I understand. I love the almost the growth, the the chess match that you can have throughout you know a two-hour game versus a, a two-minute fight. So I just my experience is very limited. I'm falling to the margins of my experience, and uh, I, that was probably what I was just talking about. But <laughs> number one, if a well, I think two minutes, it was either really good for you or really bad for you, <laughs> one or the other. I think that this can only be settled in a, a classic. You have to spar. Yeah, a sparring match between. I'll bring teams. my team. Tyler brings himself, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> I was thinking we would spar. Final fight. And then we would we would we would like pass football. <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> where what, what are we going? Where are we going? With no, this? Just, no. Well, I guess what we're going with is kind of what what sprung up. Like, hey, we should just get a fucking podcast going. Is you know, um, in Tyler's yet. You know, Sinner, Sinner has yet to be, uh, you know, be introduced to the CrossFit Football Seminar where we really scrape the surface of uh, the methodology and everything that we're going layers and layers deeper on in terms of the academy. But he's like, man, I'd love to see uh, if Power Athlete, if I were to ever make a comeback and I needed a strength and conditioning program, I'd love to see what you guys would put together for me. And I'm like, man, it's so simple. But then, you know, text like you, my classic fault is just forgetting how far we've really come because I feel like day in and day out we're not even close to to where we need to be but you forget about like how far we've come in terms of putting together the training system and you know um, being able to suck out of Wellborn's head all the information he fucking didn't even know we knew you know for us to be able to layer down um, what is the methodology right you know so yeah. for for the limited understanding that we have now of because uh, I, I have no experience with MMA other than observing and watching and spectating, but you know time domains. You know that power is essential. That uh, your ability to modulate—I think that's the right term—tension, going kind of like to the Stu McGill uh, podcast. You know, to recruit maximal recruitment into minimal recruitment back into maximal recruitment is your ability to like punch, kick, strike. So that ability, that ability to modulate, like that's the essence of athleticism as well, you know. So it's like um, using that freedom, freedom of movement, that language of movement that we kind of use as an analogy now, Tex, uh, being yeah. fluent in that language. And really, what you're talking about is a debate of movement, right? Like it, you are now in a heated debate of uh, I need to use my my performance markers to inflict enough pain on this guy to where he'll give up or he'll go unconscious. Right. So I guess with that said, the training isn't that complicated. Like there are weight class considerations, but we need to have, we need to maximize power output. Yeah. And, and my thing with, with that, it's uh, I don't disagree that it is simple. Number one, it might be simple and basic to you all, but <laughs> and that's, where, yeah, time, that's where my, my fallacy yeah, is at the same time, you know, you, you, do yourself a disservice if you don't understand that that is a very, very small population of people, including coaches who consider themselves world-class that are training fighters. We saw, you know, on our power athlete forum, someone posted a video of Anderson Silva with a Smith machine, grabbing it and standing <laughs> up. That video was um, awesome. And, and the thing is, is that that was the, there was an argument was, is this serious? Is it? Yes. I mean, I fighters duct tape, 
you know, um, scuba, scuba masks to headgear and, and training it and stuff. It's, it, it is such, it's, it's not even been, it's not been touched in, by the strength conditioning world. There's uh, there's guys, there's guys out there that are doing it great. Um, uh, Warren Landau in Colorado, who works with some of the guys that I work with. Um, he also works with like Peyton Manning. Like he works with a lot of big Olympians and stuff like that. He does some good stuff with fighters um, and it's, type of stuff y'all do i mean right. and the thing is, is people don't there's not people out there like that are doing this stuff um because fighters are a special population yeah they have a lot of the same needs as your your, your you know your, your your athletes are jumping moving laterally and things like that but then there's also things like number one it's a weight class sport mm -hmm. i have james kraus who is a guy who walks at 190 some pound fights at 155. several fights ago james kraus had a horrible weight cut when i got to camp um my first thing, and I knew, I'm like, this is going to be a hard weight cut because I'm sitting here looking at James. James is telling me how much stronger he feels and everything, and that's great. Well, I show up, and James has two times the neck James used to have. That's great that James is now feeling strong, but James doesn't fight with strength, and James right. needs to make 155, and he's already a six-foot, one-and-a-half, six-foot-two, wide-shouldered guy. Um, so I'm already a little freaked out, and that's great. But James was doing a whole lot of heavy lifting, um, and things like that, which, you know, in turn was probably not what James should have been doing mm -hmm. and putting on. James doesn't have a background in strength and conditioning. He's not lifted much. So here James is 29 years old, a professional athlete, but he still gets the novice effect. Like it's still happening yeah, with him. Because it has nothing to like, it is strictly training age and it's timely because that's kind of where we're at in the academy. But yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Come. I mean, he still, he still has that. So it doesn't take much stimulus for James to grow. So James got big. We had a rough weight cut, weight cut, so you know we've changed some things up with that. Um, then I've got other guys who can stand, you know, Justin Duke, a girl that working with, she's got a fight in two weeks. Uh, um, was a contestant on the Ultimate Fighter, the, the first year with females, all that. But she is only ten pounds over her weight class, and her goal was to be bigger. And, and you know, so her nutrition, we're putting some weight on her. So well, her conditioning and stuff would look a little bit different. Her strength 100%. would look different than James. Um, you know, I've got another fighter, Zach, and I'm just using these as, as personal examples. No, they're great. Zach they're Cummings. great because you're you're creating archetypes yeah. for us. Yeah, Zach Cummings, who's my guy, who I'll be going with here soon. Uh, I don't think he's announced where he'll be fighting, so I can't say that. But he'll be fighting here soon. He's huge. He he cuts a ton of weight. Zach can't touch his hand to the same side shoulder if you like press it there. His mobility is terrible, absolutely terrible. And he's been to gyms where the strength conditioning coaches had him doing power cleans and like, guess what? If you can't catch on your shoulders, that's fine. Just drop it sooner. Mm -hmm. No, like you should never be doing that. And here I am trying to tell him like, dude, well, you shouldn't do that. But there's not a, a marker for like, well, see this, this is how these people are doing that. You don't need that. Right. Um, so what you have is a lot of strength conditioning coaches for MMA who their only background is maybe CrossFit. Like that's it. And this is where I can jump in. So I'm seeing problems just by uh, of what you're telling us. And then the bottom line is you're dealing with linear thinkers. These aren't strength and conditioning coaches. These are guys who are just putting that are applying the conditioning, making guys lift. So a strength and conditioning coach just fucking drives set adaptations. And I'll tell you this: a strength and conditioning program it won't make you a better fighter. Mm -hmm. Actual going through and, and, and doing the math stuff and working with a, a coach like you, Tyler, that actually knows the sport, that's going to make you a better fighter. 
what a strength and conditioning coach can do is increase your performance traits, strength, power, speed, your ability to replicate that speed. And then it's up to then their mat time, they're working with their skill-specific coach to actually hone those performance traits to become a better fighter. So yeah, so it would be like uh, like packaging up for, like the the coach's job, like and that's the fat like one of the fallacies that Tex always talk about is improving the fighter in the weight room. It, that really doesn't matter. You have to have the global vision to say what does uh, what does the mat like what does the the fight coach need from this guy. It's not what do I want to see this guy accomplish in the gym. It is what does the fight coach need from this guy. And then you reverse engineer it from there. So what you've talked about is let's put a scenario together, right? Let's talk about uh, James. Big guy, can't put on weight, how, but what performance traits is he going to benefit from? Probably power, yeah. right? Uh, speed, body awareness. Yep. Okay, so Tex, how would we break that sucker down? And let's say compare and contrast to a traditional uh, cross football template would be like, uh, two squat days, one volume, one intensity, right? So high rep, let's say a five by five, uh, low rep, uh, singles, and then a push pull throughout the week. So overhead push, overhead pull, uh, horizontal push, horizontal pull. So how do you make that athlete more powerful and more capable for his coach without necessarily putting size on there? It, it's going to be it's going to be two things: rep schemes. So we're going to stay in that lower intensity zone, one to three reps, and mm -hmm. work. Believe it or not, guys, it, this may not sound, or a typical coach won't believe this, but we're going to load him up. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make him fail within reps one, two, or three. So we're talking about maximal loads here, and then he's got to move the bar as, fat, as fast as he fucking can. Uh, and then from there, we're going to get in speed. Yeah, so we have the, the force collar. It has to be measurable. Yeah, like so you, that, uh, that's what's great about the, the form collar device for an athlete like this, Tyler. So you talk about application where uh, the best, and it's an effective, it's an effective measurement tech. Sorry to cut you off to, to no, no. monitor weight. It really is. But you want to try to avoid, if you can, the hypertrophy content or uh, aspect of training. And you want to start working on rate of force development, right? And your ability to just generate maximal force quicker. So to be able to measure something like that with either a tendo, if you got two grand laying around, or the force collar deal that we're working with, like that's how you measure your progress now. It's not necessarily, oh, we've increased James's squat from 200 pounds to 275 pounds. It is, we've been doing singles between 250 and 265, but we've increased, increased rate of force development, right? So yeah, oh. rate of force development, that, that's the definition of coordination. Mm -hmm. Your ability to call upon your your strength performance trait as fast as you fucking can, which equals power. So, um, but keep going, text. Sorry, and then uh, I, I want to redirect. So your boy said he he was feeling good. He was feeling that. So I I hate the term feel when it's misused. So he's feeling fast. He's feeling strong. The only thing that can tell you you're fast is a stopwatch. The only thing that can tell you you're strong is the weight on the bar and the and the form collar. So where we want to take that feel is going to be to increase his body awareness. So all of our all of the movement drills that you're going to go through tomorrow and suffer uh, that Luke's going to put you through. It's going to be great. Those are that's where we want to concentrate on feel. So you're going to get tense tomorrow doing a lot of this stuff. Well, that's where we're going to bring awareness into this. You're able to hold that position, but then we want to become as efficient and relaxed in that position as possible. That then allows us to increase your 
mobility, quote unquote. So we define mobility as your ability to get into a position. So, and you know this well from fighting, what happens if you are forced in a position that you can't, you don't have the range of motion for? You can't get there. That's when you get hurt. That's when you lose. That's when you just uh, instinctually tap out without even thinking it. Just your body screams, shut the, shut off. I mean, so that's pretty much the definition of a submission. You put <laughs> someone in, I mean, it's, you limit the range of motion to where they can't deal with it anymore. Or they, they're like the Marines, they get stubborn, and then they pass out, right? Or break. So, yeah, or break. Even worse. So we're going to take that feel into actual body awareness, not I am feeling good. And, uh, I mean, I could, now that uh, I'm starting to make connections here, we can, we can freaking talk all night about this. I always... Uh, once you, get, you gotta call that call call your girl, tell her the dates off. We're talking about strength conditioning. She'll understand. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, once we get to the conditioning stuff, I got more things there. But in terms of just strength, uh, power, and speed development, lower your reps, increase the intensity, so measurable intensity, not emotional intensity, and uh, just move as fast as you fucking can. Yeah, and 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 I mean, you throw in the fact that. The one thing I've dealt with a lot of these guys, you know, I've had fighters that, you know, I, I deal with fighters around the nation. So I, I can't always have like a, I can give suggestions, but, you know, they have their strength coach who wants their name on that on, on their banner. So they you don't tell them what to do. Honestly. So uh, I've dealt with coaches before. I'm like, well, you know, what's your coach doing for you? Like, what are they? Like, well, they put me through fighting on bad yesterday. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That is. And I mean, I asked I, this was a real fighter and I asked him, I said, like, tell me. You've been in fights. You've been in tons of fights. Tell me what was similar. Like, like between fight gone bad and a fight you've had that went really bad, this guy fought Tim Kennedy, who's one of the strongest men on earth. And uh, I said, tell me the comparisons there. Like, oh, well, they're not really anything alike. I'm like, well, no, the, the name is literally the only parallel between that. Um, and that's it. That That's totally it. Um, but the deal, you know, what we dealt with him was this guy was training so hard at his gym that by the time he got to MMA training that night, he was already tired. Mm -hmm. That's a you already, that, that's a lose. If your strength conditioning is affecting your ability to go actually practice what you're going to go get into the cage and do and compete for a $50,000 fight of the night bonus, screw that. I don't care how much you're paying that strength conditioning coach. He's, he's affected your, you know, you're losing money because of that guy. Um, and that's the thing, man. So it needs to be, like you said, it needs to be a chance to, fine-tune other things, but you do not get better. You know, the, the whole concept of feel strong, there's a difference in feel strong. If you want to be cliche here and call this mass strong for wrestling, I don't know. I'm just saying just to, 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 to go with that. Fight strong. It's a fight strong. Nice. Fight, uh, fight strong. It's a different, it, it's a different thing, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I hate when coaches try to, I've got an article coming out on this. I hate it when coaches try to compare anything in the weight room to a fight. It's like, we you know, we have them deadlifted for this reason. Like, Give me a read. Like I get, you know, when you're talking about force production, I get that. Like, okay, that that's all fine and dandy. That's great. Um, now let's kick him in the leg really freaking hard, and then punch him in the chin and see how much he deadlifts. Like it doesn't or really specific training, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't really like. Let's get in there. Let's 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 give this guy body awareness. Let's let's do prehab. Let's teach him how to. You know, with me, this has been a big thing. Teach him not to be kyphotic. Teach him because even even in that one thing, you know, I reverse engineered some of my issues. I do not hit incredibly hard. I have to throw everything I have into it. I hit people a lot, but I don't hit incredibly hard. Well, then when you think about it, I'm a very kyphotic guy, which I've worked on a lot. And it's made a big difference. And I started having people in the gym. So I like, dude, you're hitting a lot harder. What have you done different? Like, 
not done anything different. And then I got to thinking like, oh, my shoulders, and now instead of being in this super shoulder forward stance where my punch is unloaded, I'm in a short shoulders back stance and that can load into that punch. I'm throwing my entire shoulder into it now, whereas before my shoulder was unloaded. Little things like that aren't thought about, but they're huge. Um, just just putting you know toes forward, anything like that, just getting your body used to being in these correct positions. Fighting is a very sporadic, it's it's controlled chaos. So anything you can do to, you know, prep the joints, prep the muscles, and put everything in a healthier state to take that chaos. I mean, the way you the way you literally lose a fight is you get beat up worse than the other guy. I mean, that is it. So even just armoring your body is going to improve your chances of winning. I mean, it's that's it. I mean, the, the stronger, I mean, not stronger yeah, necks are, are harder to get knocked out. A better better cardio, the better cardio normally wins the wins the the decision. Um, you know, you got to be you got to be good at everything. I'm not saying that being super technical doesn't. It does. It matters more about anything. But a strong guy is a lot harder. A strong guy with a good uh, jiu-jitsu background is a lot harder to submit than a weaker guy with a really good jiu-jitsu mm -hmm. background. And even delivering blows is taxing on the person throwing the hit, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you, you, you've you got – So if you're not put together and, let's say, I'm just trying to think of, like, force blade model here, Tex, like the, the economy of effort going into a – trying to strike in a poor position – would be greater than being in the correct position. You're talking about shoulders back, for example. Like if you are protracted shoulders forward and delivering a blow, that gives you, I don't know, perhaps a force bleed opportunity. I don't know. I'm just dreaming shit up, actually. Yeah, no, I mean, but the comment, I'd like to. I'd like to strike that from the record, please, Tex. Thanks. Just admit dreaming shit up? That's <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, that is, no, that is true. I mean, if you even look, again, going back to, you know, Sunday at UFC Pittsburgh, I had two guys fought on the UFC Pittsburgh card. Uh, James, Krause, James Krause won by decision. Chris Camozzi had the the knockout of the night, a 20-second knockout, need a, guy's, need a guy so bad it, it broke his forearm in half, and then he need him in the head until the guy fell down, done. Um, but you take James Krause, he was super upset with his performance at first because James Krause is this guy who goes in, throws three punches, hits you, avoids your punch, moves laterally, then hits you again. Well, James had this whole different plan for this guy he was fighting, and that was to go in and make this a grindy, grimy, gritty fight. James would throw a punch. As soon as his punch landed, he'd rock the guy's chin back. James shot in for a double leg, pushed the guy against the cage, exhausted the guy, took the guy down, and you know people were tweeting like, oh, my gosh, this looks like a miserable fight to be in. Um, and it is. That's my style, so that's, that's always kind of how I went. And James' conditioning was amazing till round three, the last few minutes, James got tired. And James, after the fight, he was really upset with himself. Um, he said, you know, I wanted the, I wanted the finish. Um, you know, he's like, I, you know, but James had never been in that style of fight before. But then going back and looking at it, he's like, man, I did look good. He was forward the entire time. He, I mean, he was, he was punching forward. If he was kicking, he was kicking out while he moved forward. He was taking shots as we moved forward. Everything James did was forward motion. So, yeah, he got a little bit tired, but he didn't get tired till the final, you know, he fought for 13 minutes without getting tired. Then he got tired in the last little bit. And that's because his game plan just changed a little bit. And just because that little bit of a change, the demands went completely different. You have a guy who normally sits back in the pocket, punch, punch, sits back. And now to a guy who just grinds forward constantly, if we want to use a, the time under tension um, term there, 
he constantly had that. He's constantly connected to the guy, pushing him against the cage. You know, a whole different body demand. Um, so let's yeah, let's continue with conditioning. So he went in with a whole game plan, conditioned for the game plan. Then he got punched in the face, and immediately the game plan changed. But he was still able to kind of keep pace with a different conditioning plan. Um, and you, you said it a couple times that he was in good condition or, oh, man, he wasn't conditioned for that. How is conditioning measured in fighting? Well, he he was in good conditioning for it. He was just because – but kind of I guess the way to say that, like he, he didn't get tired of the last little bit, which anybody does with that stuff. But why James was in good conditioning for this, and you can carry this to, into where you want to go, but James was in really good shape at least for this fight because James is the guy who goes into the, you know, he, he doesn't do a lot of strength conditioning because he just doesn't have to. He goes into the MMA gym and he trains, he does 25 five-minute or, or, you know, um, sorry, 10 five-minute rounds and go balls to the wall the entire time and trains to exhaustion. So he gets to the point where he's always, you know, he can fight exhausted. It doesn't freaking matter. That's why his conditioning was good. It wasn't good because of anything he did outside of it. But you can improve that. Um, there's things, you know, like like you said, that, that I feel you can do as far as how you measure it. In a fight, you know, I, I've, I've been known in the past for like conditioning in a fight. I, I've gone to a lot of decisions because I am a gritty, grimy. Um, I always say I fight with war of attrition. You know, if, if I'm going for an arm bar and you don't give it to me, I'm going to punch your bicep until you get tired of holding on. Then I do it. You know, in an interview once I said I, I beat you up to the point that, like, it looks good. Like, I'm not a great, amazing submission guy, but I get a lot of submissions because I beat you up and make you so miserable to be in there with me that by the time I go for a submission, you give it up because, like, okay, now I can tap and my, my girlfriend and mom won't know that I really just got tired. Like, all right, cool. Um, so the way you measure that, um, for me, I don't like getting tired. If I get tired in a fight, like, that's, that's the worst. I would rather get knocked out. I would rather get my head kicked off than to – know between round two and three to look across the cage and that guy's bouncing back and forth and doesn't look tired and I'm exhausted. I, I, I can't imagine that that is the most terrifying scenario and it should be for any fighter. That is the most terrifying scenario because if I'm better than that guy, you, 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 you let me be in amazing shape, absolute best shape in the world. And you, you know, you fatigue, who do we want to say here? You, I'm bigger than Connor. We'll say Connor McGregor because he, he's a God right now. You fatigue Conor McGregor to the point he can barely lift his arms. He can't do anything. My chances of beating Conor McGregor just went way up. Um, and that's kind of my thing with fighting. You know, like I said with the middle, the guys in the Middle East and everything, like the, the better conditioned fighter is already an advantage. So that presents the threat of over-conditioning. So yes. uh, let's uh, transition. I, I got some good things to finish here with, but talk to us about over-conditioning and the problem that presents in the sport. Over-conditioning, it, it's, it's big, but you see it with these guys who aren't, they're, they're not getting the coaching they need necessarily. They might be training. They're doing things like fight gone bad. Um, because one thing a fighter will not do, if a fighter's exhausted, he's still going to go to training that night. Um, recovery is another, I'm not getting, but re re recovery is something fighters don't take into consideration. And I've told my guys and my, my guys have told me before, if they could say that there's one thing I changed about them, working with them was recovery. Like I push recovery to these guys like crazy. You need to sleep. You need to, you need to eat more carbs. You need to take a day off, like take some time off. 
so what happens is these guys are doing their strength conditioning. They get exhausted, but they're still going to go train that night. So that presents the a greater risk of being injured because they're going in there. Their legs are already super fatigued, but now they're going to bounce back and forth on their legs for 15 minutes, throwing kicks and punches. Um, you know, the, 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 their knee integrity's you know, already been, uh, you know, played with there. So you get these guys that are constantly overtraining. Uh, and I can see it. Because if you're overtrained, I tell guys all the time, if you've overtrained during your eight-week fight camp, it's going to show in week eight when I'm trying to help you cut weight. And here, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to prep your body to lose 10 to 30 pounds in a week. I need your body totally recovered so I can ask of it these things. I'm we're we're gonna we're gonna throw some some stresses on your body and and hope your body, you know, gives us this water weight. But if your body is stressed to the max, it's not going to work for me. So that's kind of, um, you know, and, and you've seen it. Weight cuts have gone bad. A lot of times you even, you'll even hear guys, uh, you'll hear guys say, this is the lightest I've ever been. Um, I was super light for this fight. My, it might, you know, I'm not worried about the weight cut. Guys that normally might have cut 20 pounds, but now they're only cutting 10 pounds. And people assume that, oh, great, it's going to be easy. Well, no, not necessarily. How did they get so much lighter? A lot of times they've just overtrained to the point that they starved themselves way too early. They did way too much training, so they get there and their body's so stressed out, they have a hard time making weight, or they might have an easy time making weight, but then they're exhausted by fight time. Um, overtraining is huge in, 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 in MMA. It's, it's, it's again, because there's not people addressing this. And yeah, where it's not a team sport to help you And where it's not a team sport, you don't have, you don't have one guy over 20 fighters giving them all good advice. Yeah. You have, you know, you, you, you have each fighter has their own camp and each camp has has the solution to beat the other guys. And, you know, you got to listen to that. You listen to your coaches and all that. And it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me because there's, you know, the 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 Broncos, they have a strength conditioning coach. They have their, I guess, nutritionist, their uh, offensive coach, their defensive coach, their quarterback. All these guys work hand in hand. But fighters, most of them don't have a nutrition coach. Most of them don't have a strength conditioning coach. They do their own thing. But what ends up happening a lot of times are these guys are all working on their own, and there's no there's no correspondence. They're not all working together. They're all trying to – this guy's trying to get this guy striking better. This guy's trying to fix the nutrition. This guy's trying to do strength conditioning. But they're all doing it, you know, individually. They're not working together to put this together. It, you know, it, it needs yeah. to be a team sport as far as coaches go. It, as far as coaching goes, each one of those coaches definitely wants to get the most out of their thing because yeah. coaches are fucking selfish. It seems like there's a complicated matrix of uh, overtraining, under-recovering, coaches pulling the athletes every which way. So, yeah, this this is as fucked up as any other sport, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But I have a solution, so when we're ready. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, that's that's a thing. It, it's very much uh, uh, every other sport has this, but MMA, it's weird because it's the first sport ever. Runners will tell you that running's the first sport ever, but I argue that with if we want to go, if we want to go back and, and, and get a little biblical here, we go back to Cain and Abel. Um, from the moment Cain killed Abel, Abel wishes he had much better submission defense, or, or much <laughs> much better, much you know, he wishes he had much better head movement. Um, so I always, I like from the time Cain killed Abel, the first two kids mentioned in the Bible, fighting was a thing. Um, you know, running, 
running only happened as a result of people not knowing how to fight back. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole different that's a whole different subject that I won't get into. Um, so it's the oldest sport, but at the same time, as far as an organized sport, it's very new. It's a super new sport. It's uh, because it's a fine it's it's a fine balance of how do we apply exercise science to this brutal, primal, barbaric. Because at the end of the day, man, it's two guys getting half naked in the cage, beating each other half to death for the applause of a drunken crowd on a Saturday night. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all it is. Um, it's an organized bar fight. Um, but how do you apply? And you're starting to see it. You're starting to see Conor McGregor. Um, you know, he's got he's got a, he's got his own. Ito, uh, how do you say his name again? Ito Portal. Ito Portal. Um, he brought him in, and man, a lot of people don't know a pre that. So in my opinion, that's been a game changer for Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. And because look, he moves amazing. It's not just he moves weirder. He moves in a way that's different. He moves in a way that only he understands. He knows what his body's doing, but you don't have any idea what he's about to do. So you get these guys that are kind of bringing in some of these guys, and, and right now they're ahead of the curb. The, the Gracies and, and all of those guys who previously only were martial artists, they're nobodies now. Right. Mm-hmm. So now fighters are limited to their kind of access to coaches. Yeah. I mean, that, that's 100%. So now I got – I got a guy who his first fight in the UFC, he might be making 8,000, 8,000 Reeboks paying him, whatever they're paying him. Um, so he's, that's really not that much money. This guy's not making much money, but this guy also doesn't have a full-time job because he has to train all the time. So assuming he gets to fight twice a year and he wins, he's making, after he pays his coaches, after he pays travel, you know, he's making 20 some thousand dollars a year as a professional fighter in the top of the game in the, the in the NFL of fighting. But he thinks he can get better by going somewhere else. All right, so now you're going to well, you're making twenty thousand dollars a year, and you're going to move. You're just going to up and move to this whole other place, and you're going to have to hire all these coaches and and, and this and that. And it's that, that that's kind of the the, the the problem with the sport too. You know, not get not to get into the sport itself, but these guys are really truly not. I feel like they're not getting paid enough to form together legit camps for one thing. Um, and you just don't have a lot of good camps around. And, you know, just as, as a shout out to two of the camps that I work mostly with, uh, Factory X, who has the guys in, in Colorado, Chris Kamoji fights for them. Um, their car, um, their coach, uh, Mark, man, it, he is super hands-on with me. His, his, their strength conditioning coach, they're all hands-on together. Uh, Mark Montoya is, is his uh, coach name, coach's name. He tells me how Chris is doing. We talked after Chris's fight. We talked. We sat down and talked nutrition, and talked about how we can make his weight cut even better next time. James Krause, the guy I work with, he owns his own gym, Glory MMA in Kansas City. Like we know, we all work hand in hand, and they appreciate that. And that's what's so cool with these guys. And since we all started working hand in hand and addressing this, these guys are doing really freaking good. Um, but they're doing good because Chris happens to be in the hands of an amazing. Know, passionate coach who isn't in it for himself and that's that's very evident and James happens to also be James's head coach and he's an amazing head coach and he happens to be the gym owner so you know these two guys have they're doing this themselves but the vast majority of these guys are not and unless you're in the top you know one to two percent of the UFC you know you're not getting paid enough to really you know attract amazing coaches and, and amazing nutritionists 
Um, you know. Sounds like a great opportunity for young coaches that are passionate and knowledgeable to have to break the, break into this. Oh yeah, because I don't. The sport's not going anywhere. I don't feel the sport's going to die anytime soon. I don't feel like it's going anywhere. I don't feel. You know, they might there might be changes made to it. Look how long boxing lasted, uh, and I mean, you know, boxing is still lasted. a sport. You say it's dead. It's dying. Um, boxing, boxing is very much dying. Name name five boxers for me, real quick. Uh, Apollo Creed's son. <laughs> oh yeah. Rocky. Um, most most people can't name five boxers, but they can name five guys in the UFC. Um, right. That's my point. Boxing kind of, boxing kind of killed itself. Um, that being said, there's still things to appreciate about boxing, dude. It is you know yeah. that sweet science. It is speed and agility and all of these things. Um, but MMA again, it's not even hacked into those things yet. It, it, it's 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 going to be around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So this this is definitely why I love sport is just this infinite evolution of strategy and approach. Like I said, I love team sport because within two hours, it's a chess match. Well, you've you've seen the evolution of just MMA as it's progressed, just as football invented the forward pass as an example, but it uh, MMA has just evolved so much. I mean, I've been been watching all the main cards as, as long as I can get into bars for free, you know, so it's uh, it's been a great experience. I don't see it going anywhere. But yeah, and, and one of the cool sorry. things, go ahead, go ahead, man. I was going to say, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about the strength side and the conditioning, and a, I just have a couple baseline notes that I, I believe any uh, – Strength and conditioning coach that is working with fighters will benefit from, fighters will benefit from, and any fighting coach who thinks they are going to take the more, more, more approach to conditioning, that's not going to always be the best thing. Um, so if I could jump in for just a couple notes. Uh, first, from the strength perspective, we already covered it. You need to reverse engineer what your guy needs and then apply the said principles, specific adaptation to impose demands. If he's not going to put on weight, then we know how to increase his strength power or his strength power and speed without adding that weight if he's you know a hard a hard gainer. With um, minimizing so, I guess you should say minimizing risk of weight gain. Right. Does that make sense? Because you there it's possible still to gain weight at with singles. Yeah. We've done we did it when we did that Bulgarian bullshit. So well, that's because you're eating whatever you wanted. Exactly. Well, I'm just saying, if you dial that down to two days a week there is a, strength conditioning. And there's yeah. a much better way to do it because we were the problem was we were going way too heavy and it was too the weight was too slow, so it was too much time in terms of contraction. And that will that's what was induced in the hypertrophy. It was just that reps weren't lasting under a second. It was like a 1.8 second rep, you know, and all of a sudden you have this basically grind for you start to accumulate t- time under contraction and that's what when we were doing the research where the hypertrophy was stemming from but if like we talked about tech singles that are fast uh we're gonna be fine so yeah go on so and then from the conditioning perspective you need one thing and one thing only and that's purpose don't just throw some blind workout based off the name fight gone bad that was probably invented by a guy that's never been in an mma fight you need to actually have purpose so there are three purposes to apply to any formal conditioning uh Number one, that is to decrease your recovery time between maximal velocity. So that doesn't mean slow, monotonous rounds or cyclical exercises. It means being explosive and fast and going as hard as you fucking can until you can't. And then guess what? Then we'll re- recover. Then you're going to kind of back off just as if you would in a fight or a boxing 
boxing match to get some space before your next combo. Um, so purpose one is decrease recovery between maximal velocity bouts. Uh, number two is going to be increased coachability. So Tyler, you can attest your coach is in, the, in your corner just yelling at you. He's talking to you between fights and depending on your conditioning level, it's your ability to respond. So that's a good measurement. Am I conditioning too much? Can my athlete solve a math problem? Can my athlete respond to what I'm saying? If you're in that zone, then all right, we're going to step it back for right now. And then we're going to go uh, until it, it, it becomes uh, just more and more consistent in terms of his coachability. Uh, and then last but not least is actual kind of mental toughness to prepare for our final purpose. But this is where I like the team, team sport and applying conditioning. We can go for camaraderie. But in terms of an individual, it's going to be 100% on them. Mental toughness. Prove to yourself that you have the ability to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with your opponent. And the final purpose is to allow yourself to practice more. And like you said, your boy, his fighting, his fighting, his practice became his conditioning. And that's what prepared him for his, his match. Even though his whole game plan still changed, he was still prepared from a conditioning sport, uh, level because he went all out during his training, which is his practice, not his strictly conditioning time. So it's actually applying a purpose, not just blind thinking more, more, more will help these guys. And then in terms of that mo maximal velocity stuff, Tex, would you think like plyo conditioning, you know, you have your upper body plyo circuits, you have your lower body, like primal plyo type stuff. I mean, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, and then anything reaction in terms of, so we could do uh, just any any footwork drill, any, any plyometrics, but as soon as you see those things that take power and coordination, they start to get uncoordinated, then you know, all right, we need to either rest longer or decrease the, the length of this. So we got plenty of, of quick feet drills and shit like that. Again, I'm a... I'm sure I'm going to allow you fighters guys to get creative with what those would be, but from a field sport perspective, it's going to be footwork. It's going to be stuff that causes you to move through different planes of motion as fast as you fucking can, bounce around, jump around, but as soon as you lose the bounce, the power, or the coordination, all right, time to rest. Pull back. And why Why do we do that, Tex? Because the whole purpose of strength and conditioning is to have an athlete who's able to replicate their strength, power, and speed. Replicate. And by pushing them through repeated efforts of lack of coordination or slow movement, what are we essentially doing? Making them slower, right? Yes. So and there's already, and too, there's already so many things that, you know, in the field strong programming that, that you definitely see with, with that, that are, you all probably don't even realize that mimic things in fighting. Um, or you, you do or you don't. I mean, it mimics things in athletics in general. Um, things as simple as the toes, toes up, pull your toes up. That's how you throw a kick. Most people have no idea. They think you throw a kick. Most people even think because of movies, you point your toe down when you throw a kick. That's completely false. When you throw a kick or when you throw it, you're actually supposed to have your toe dorsiflex. I mean, you're supposed to have your toe up. Mm -hmm. That's actually how you do it. Um, interesting. When you, um, like man, you're you're all you know dynamical and everything. Like it's there's so many things that already look like a fight. It's it's kind of interesting. And the, plows, the upper body plows, that's a punch. I mean that, yeah. that's very much a punch. I mean you you throwing your hips into it. There's so many little aspects of of 
of fighting that already are, are integrated in there. And it's not that they were purposely integrated in there for fighting. They were integrated in there to develop an athlete. And this is what this is the conversation that a strength and conditioning coach and a sport coach need to have. It's where are the where can I replicate the positions in the sport into the weight room, and then master them on their highest amount of stress, so that way they can just become instincts and steps in the ring. Text do you do you see manual resistance with for a fighter? With yes, weight class so consideration. Absolutely. If we do not want to put on mass, then another way for us to uh, kind of get the fives range for um, our fighters is going to be in our manual resistance. Right. So and then cool. also, you know, uh, complex treatment as well. Right. Yes. So cool down with complex. It's all about, you know, nervous system efficiency and your ability to actually said it so poetically earlier about uh, your ability, the rate at which you, you know, you're recruiting your maximal force production. So you can get you more powerful without necessarily getting you stronger, even though base level of strength is going to pay huge dividends towards your abilities in the ring, right? So, no, yeah, it's good. Plenty, plenty of tools out there, and we just from our population and our craft know how exactly how to apply them to field sports. But it's up to us to connect with coaches like Tyler to see, all right, where are the connections, where are the holes in his sport that we can fill with our knowledge. I'm really happy that, that in this time that – it went from you um, negatively referring to MMA, and and all we had to do was threaten you with sparring me, and now you are super yeah, excited. Uh, what's um, your favorite about... sport now, Ted? <laughs> no, but it is cool. Um, but, but seriously, um, you, you know, field sports, I get. But it is it is cool though. Like like in this conversation, you know, you you've kind of grown like I, I can tell like your wheels are turning and all this, and I think you want to help a fighter now. You got a fighter for me? Ingo has been just sending me all these messages yeah. on the freaking forums, uh, the forums yeah. about getting into MMA strength and conditioning. But all I need is one. Mm -hmm. Who is it? Who does it? Who's who doesn't have a guy? Everybody has a guy. That's a problem. I mean, I've got several guys. I mean, you, I, I got guys that are I got guys that are insanely coachable, but they're not in DC. So <laughs> I, I can coach via. I'm so good. I can coach over the internet. I mean, man, it's. Well, let's it's, hook it up. Let's figure out. Let's talk offline on what, who you think the best opportunity will be, and then we'll just dip our feet in it. But they're going to have to have a, a, a coach, on site to help them with some of this shit and report back to text. You know, because they're. So it's going to be you. That could be me. Why? Well, we're going to see if you're fucking worth your weight in salt this weekend <laughs> at the seminar. All right, text. We got to run, bro. But I think this is legit because you know what? Going back to what you're saying is, that, you know. All this bullshit that uh, I, I, I call it bullshit because I'm not a big marketing guy. Like, I don't watch commercials and be like, ooh, I need to get that. And this is the case of Lupa, right? But um, <laughs> I'm not lying. But like, everything about this Power Athlete brand is what Tex, myself, Callie, the whole team live and breathe. John, you know, it's a, it's a weird embodiment of like, we see an opportunity to empower performance, and that's what kind of gets our juices flowing. So that's exactly what you're talking about when you saw Tex. He's like, I'm seeing, you know, it's it's all performance perspective with us. That's it. It's not yeah. lift weights to lift weights for and, the lift uh, weights sake, but just to where I've made the most strides as a coach is taking on sports that I have never played, no experience with, and then looking at the connections between all of the the power athlete primal movements, our whole limiting factor hierarchy, and then the base level strength. So if we're able to 
take a fighter through a base level of strength program without even changing their weight class, that'll be a whole new experience for me. So yeah. I'm and I think text, you know, what we'd have to do there is like you, I don't know, because you think novice window, dude, this is going to be like a bar napkin talk because I, I have an idea on it because you have to, all right, we'll, we'll talk later. It all comes down to the first six weeks. You know yeah. what I mean? It all comes down to the first six weeks. And I don't know if it's weight that is the, what you're increasing it, or if it's speed, but something's got to be, we've got to continue to linear progress it. Uh, I'm feeling, um, I, I can tell, I know exactly the points you're going to yeah. witness and feel his evolution into the base level of strength. And it's not going to last 20 weeks, but I mean, uh, I know how to tell. It's just a matter of what we're going to apply. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Awesome stuff, dude. Tyler, awesome. Glad that we can fucking we can grind this one out, and uh, we'll see how you survive this weekend, buddy. Tex, <laughs> see you later. Tell tell uh, who hey. whatever lucky lady you're taking to go watch uh, fucking um, what is just Deadpool? Go watch Deadpool. Yeah, whatever lucky lady is going to see Deadpool with you for the third time. Uh, tell her that we said hello. And we'll, I'll rehash this whole conversation. It's going to be a great time. <laughs> and then Tyler said, "All right, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, Tyler, have." Have fun this weekend. Uh, I still use the notes from my cross first CrossFit football seminar. Yeah, same here. Same here. So you uh, you better take good notes. That's all I gotta say. Got it. You know what's awesome is like Tyler and I have talked about all sorts of stuff. He hasn't taken one note since he's fucking been here. It's, it's fucking depressing. All up here. Shame. 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 <laughs> Cling. All right. Later. Text. All right. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Impressed with what you've heard from Tyler? Head to www.powerathletehq.com backslash nutrition to get more info on receiving meal plans from him. Follow Tyler Mitten on Instagram under the name at the Melee Way. That's the M-E-L-E-E-W-A-Y. Until next time, bye!